Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 104? God's meticulous care for his creation. God has so ordained for us to have three ways that we can know there's a God. The first way is by his creation, the balance of it, the way that it is. The second, of course, is his written word, and the third is the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. So this is an interesting passage about God and his creation. So let's look for it. First of all, in the first two verses, the psalmist gives a blessing to God. He blesses God. He worships through blessing God and lifting up God for his greatness. Bless Yahweh, my soul, Yahweh, my God. You'll note here then that this is a worshiper, a believer in the true and living God. We don't have an identity to who the psalmist is. Some say David, some say others. But anyway, he's a worshiper. It's part of the inspired, preserved word. My God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. You will find similarities here in this passage, this general passage, this psalm. Similarities to the creation account itself. In the creation account, of course, we are first introduced to light. And God covers himself with light, not with darkness. Next, you'll notice I had a little finger there because he moves from blessing God and talking about God when he gets to the part about stretching out the heavens, he moves right into the creation of God. First of all, the heavens. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He who makes the clouds his chariots, he who walks on the wings of the winds, he who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. The, the Hebrew understanding of the firmament, rakia, the firmament, was a stretched out thinness, and that even though there was a stretched out thinness, water was still contained above the surface of the earth, just as surely, of course, as there were bodies of water on the earth. This psalmist poetically describes the beams of the upper chambers standing and having power over everything that would be earth. That would include, as he describes, the spread out thinness and the, the water vapor that extends all the way until you're out of the atmosphere of the earth. 
So God is above all of the earth and anything that from the, from the, from the highest atmosphere down to the planet, God, of course, is above that. He makes the clouds his chariots. As a matter of fact, the Lord Christ, when he ascended, he, he was enswathed in a cloud. He went up and as, as uh, Elijah did as well. So, so the, the spirit beings are seen as moving on chariots. The chariots are like clouds. He who walks on the wings of the winds he who makes his angels spirits, his ministers, a flame of fire. The throne of God, who Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, is high and lifted up. And he saw the train of Yahweh filling the temple. And so he talks about this Heavenly, there's a heavenly temple right now. There's a temple in heaven and the tabernacle and later the temple were just patterns, copies or types of the real thing that is in heaven. And, and the fullness of the glory and the enswathement of the Lord fills that place. Now, surrounding and circling this great place where the Lord is enthroned are beings who are called seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones. Apparently, in the vision that Isaiah had, he saw these mighty angelic beings as so radiant that they were like fire. This perhaps is an allusion to those particular kinds of angels, the seraphim, his ministers. Now these were the ones who say, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. They're the ones who chant that. The Bible teaches us that. So they minister to the Lord in a special way. And other angels could appear perhaps as a flame of fire. The inspired psalmist, when he envisions the angels, they are spirits and they are ministers to the Lord and look like a flame of fire. Moving on in his creation now, he considers the earth and the waters. You who laid the earth upon foundations. Now there is, some, there is some doctrinal and theological truth here that as believers we should just stand on. You, this is Yahweh, the creator, who laid the earth upon foundations so that it should never, should not ever be moved even into perpetuity. And what he means here in this phrase, he means that as long as the current creation stands, as long as it stands, 
The foundations of the earth are secure and firm, and the earth should not ever be moved, ever. Now, there's a humanistic belief. In, in humanism, people believe that man can affect and, and ultimately destroy the earth. Well, the Bible says that's not true. The Bible here teaches us that God has put the earth upon foundations and it can never be moved as long as we're in the current state of affairs. We also learn, of course, that the current universe will burn with fire and God will then give to us a new heaven and a new earth. But in the current state of affairs, in the present time-space continuum, the earth has been placed so solidly by the Creator on its foundations that it should not ever be moved. It is, it is fixed where it is. It is fixed in what it is. And man does not have the power to negate the created earth, the earth that God has created. You covered it with the deep abyss as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. This is an interesting passage when compared to the passage of Genesis 1 and creation. Look what he says. You covered it with the deep abyss as with a garment. Now, Genesis tells us, and it's the same, that word abyss is the same word that what the King James says, uh, void and formless, or some other translations say that. Tahum is the same word. Abyss is the same word. Now notice what, notice what the psalmist teaches us. The Lord Creator covered the earth. This is in the creation. This is in the beginning of creation. Covered it with the deep abyss as with a garment. It was, according to the creation account, without form and void. Well, this is what he's talking about in the creation. This is how it was. And it was the Lord who covered it with a deep abyss as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. So this thing, this thing was like, it was like liquid and water was being formed and began to have its movement. But this is the way that God made it until, of course, in the creation account, the Spirit of God hovered over it. All right, so then continuing on, they fled at your rebuke. They hastened away at the thunder of your voice. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place where you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. All right, so what's he talking about? Well, what fled at his rebuke was the condition of primordial earth, of this early, early earth in the, pre, in the process of God creating it. And God spoke. He gave his rebuke. 
and they fled away. Where did they go? Well, you remember in the creation account, the Bible says that God separated dry land from the waters. And he gave the waters their place. And he gave the dry, the dry ground its place. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. They went up over the mountains. What? Well, the waters. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. I read about 20 years ago, and according to what I read about 20 years ago, because of global warming, vast shorelines and coastal areas of the earth, which would have included our own coastal lands and parts of Florida and so forth, would by this time have been covered in water. I'm sure you've read about those same things. Again, remember this truth. Man cannot act to or declare the end of God's order on earth. Only God can do that. As a matter of fact, God reserves that right and he exercises that right in the tribulation. Things that never were like they were start happening. It's because of God, God's power. Well, here we're told that the waters have been put in a place and God has set a boundary and they won't pass over it. Now, the curse of the flood caused something to happen to cleanse the world, but what happened after the 40 days? Went right back to where God had appointed it. So then, you have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. God has established the land and the waters according to his word and his power. So there is a boundary beyond which the waters cannot pass. Now sometimes the waters may have receded some from that boundary and sometimes may have gone all the way up to that boundary, but God knows that there's a boundary and, and you just can't, I read not long ago too, and I have tried to, I've tried to research, I don't, read, I don't read much about it anymore, but somewhere I read in a scientific journal that a hole was discovered up in the upper Midwest and that the Mississippi River was disappearing because the water was falling into this hole. Well, the Mississippi River is still there. And you'd think as much water as there is in the Mississippi River, if it, if it got poured onto the core of the earth, I don't know what would happen to us. Well, here's the truth. This is the truth. God has set a boundary for the waters. They won't pass over that. Neither will they return now to cover the earth. God has declared it. So then he moves on to the springs and the rain that God has provided. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. They quench the wild donkey's thirst. 
By them the birds of the heavens have their homes. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. That is the Lord's works. There's this beautiful balance within the ecology of, 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 uh, of the world. God maintains that balance. God sees to it that these things happen so that even the most insignificant of the beasts are cared for and have a place where that they can, that they can call home in the case of the birds. They have nests in the branches. God has provided, and this is, you have to take this, this should be the biblical worldview, this should be the Christian worldview. These things are as they are because God put them there and made them that way. And God's provision for every creature is always there by the power of God. Now he addresses the vegetation and the hills of the earth. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation, or, or the, another way to translate that word is herbage. It's the same word that's used in Genesis where God says, I give you the herbs to live on. Same word in the Hebrew, so it could be herbage or vegetation. Given for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of a man. Oil to make his face shine and bread which strengthens the heart of man. It is a, a wonderful miracle of God how man can plant for his food bring forth the food, even the grapes for the wine, even the olive trees for the olives that make the oil. And it's the olive oil that anoints for the health of man, according to the Bible. And the grains come forth. They can make bread, which man makes bread and strengthens the heart of man. The trees of Yahweh are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, in which the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. That's an interesting critter. There's a debate over what exactly a biblical rock badger is. But God, but God made the cliffs for it. High hills for wild goats, we've all observed by looking at some sort of documentary how these goats live in what seems to be impossible conditions. And they can negotiate those hillsides, mountainsides way up high. God made it that way. God made it that way. Why are there cliffs and why are there rocky-sided mountains? Because God has provided these animals a place to live. That's the biblical worldview. 
the seasons and the days. God, he appointed the moon for appointed times. Now, this, this, this verse is taking us into the truth that God created the calendar. An hour is an hour. An hour is divided into 60 seconds. There are so many days, so many hours, thus so many days in a, in a lunar cycle. God made it that way. It, it, just, it, it just doesn't fail. It never fails. You make the sun to know it's going down. The sun knows it's going down. Until God stopped the sun, and in another case, made it go backward, except for that, and the power of God, the sun is just always on its cycle. It just keeps going. You make darkness, and it's night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. And then man, when it's day, the animals are out there at night doing their job. And then man gets up when the sun comes up, goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Perfect balance set by Almighty God. The sea. How numerous are your works, Yahweh. You have made them all in wisdom. Now, wisdom is beyond understanding. Wisdom, the wisdom of God has made this, this balance that, that, that comes from the knowledge and wisdom of God. And, and it could only be the balance and the way things are, not just on earth, but all the way through the universe, it can only be that way because of the power of God, the wisdom of God. It just works. It all works out. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are teeming and innumerable things. That's an interesting way for a guy way back, what, 1000 BC or so to describe. I took... Uh, Actually, it was ninth grade science. It wasn't chemistry. Have some seawater. Just looks like kind of musty water. You put it under a microscope. You can take water out of a creek. Just all these little, little things. They're alive. They're living in a world that you didn't know about until you look at them. Well, this guy was inspired by God, and he says, you know, the great and wide sea is teeming with innumerable things. You think about it now. Those little things feed something else, and that thing feeds something else, and that thing feeds something else, and that thing feeds something else until you go to bonefish and have a mahi-mahi blackened piece of fish. And it comes to me. And nothing is going to eat me. I hope. Living things, both great and small. 
Isn't it wonderful? You can't, you can't debate that. Living th- just makes this sweeping statement. Says things that he couldn't have understood in his day, but he knows God has made it in such a balance. There the ships sail about and Leviathan, sea monster, Leviathan, which you have made to play there. Leviathan. Some say that it's a seawater crocodile. Some say it's a whale. Some say some sort of giant species of shark that doesn't exist anymore. I saw one, though, on Jurassic Park, that movie with the little boys got lost, you know. I forgot, I forgot the name of the movie. The hero was out there, and they were being tra- chased by some sort of half-breed T-Rex, and then a T-Rex got loose and was fighting that thing, and then this Leviathan, I saw it. It came right out of the ocean and ate the T-Rex. Well, that may be what it was. I don't know, but he plays there. I heard a man just this past week His statement was, I'm trying to think of the place where I heard it, 95% of the ocean depths have never been studied. That's interesting. He said we know more about our solar system than we do about the depths of the ocean. Leviathan, he's playing down there somewhere. Whatever it is, And a lot of it we don't know, apparently. God made it. God put it in its environment. I saw a documentary on the depths of the Antarctic Sea. Cold. And miles and miles down where the sunlight cannot shine. And it was discovered some years back that those, there is a, There is a village of critters down there that create their own light. Some sort of chemical reaction and they just shine like neon lights in the depths. God made it that way. To play there, life and death. These all wait for you. That you, uh uh-oh, I had an S that I didn't realize that you may give them, that you may give them their food in due season. God provides everything, you see. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand and they are filled with good. That's life. But the curse of sin, there's death. You hide your face. They are troubled. You take away their breath, they die. And to their dust, they return. You send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. By the power of God, you see. 
One generation of creation gives way to the next generation. While one returns to dust, another is coming forth by the power of God. The face of the earth always being renewed. Always being renewed by the power of God. So in closing, may the glory of Yahweh endure forever. May Yahweh rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and the earth trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. So here's how the psalmist ends his praise. I will sing to Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being, while I have my existence. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in Yahweh. May the sinful be consumed from the earth and may the wicked be no more. Bless Yahweh, my soul. Hallelujah. Praise Yah. We're going to stop there. And uh, we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.